This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. We're, we're thrilled today to be joined by Janet Liang. Janet's the Executive Vice President, and she's the Group President and Chief Operating Officer of National Care Delivery Operations at Kaiser Foundation, Kaiser Hospitals and Health Plans. She's had a brilliant, brilliant career. She's going to talk today about what she's seeing with COVID, virtual care, competition, and a whole lot more. Janet, can you take a moment to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about about you and Kaiser and your career? Sure. Thanks, Scott. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, I have the privilege of of working here as as a group president and COO for Kaiser, which is a uh, integrated health healthcare and coverage organization. We serve over 13 million people or members uh, across the United States, and we have over 220,000 employees that are part of um, our care team. And uh, so I've been now in the industry for, I can't believe, 30 years. And I have always been fortunate to work for mission-driven organizations that really align strongly with my my passion and um, goal for universal access to healthcare in our country. And um, I, I'm someone who strongly believes that healthcare is a right and it's a necessary requirement for individuals and, and families to, to experience health, happiness, and economic security. And so um, it's really been an important part of my leadership. And I really truly consider working in healthcare a, a professional calling. Thank you. And let's let's agree that healthcare should be a right. And, and we start with the concept that everybody should have coverage. And now, if we start with the concept that everybody has coverage, still 10% of our country that's without coverage, we know that coverage and access are very different things. How do you look at improving access? And maybe talk a little bit about some of the three things we've talked about some before, access and what virtual health can mean for that. How does this impact health equity? Because obviously if different parts of the community don't have access, there's really not a right to healthcare or health equity. And, and what you're thinking about behavioral health. Maybe I know three big subjects, sorry, Janet. Talk to us a little bit about what you think about virtual health, health equity, behavioral health, and some of the things you're watching there and what they mean for healthcare as a right, or at least getting people better coverage. And sure. And I'm going to take at least one, and then you 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 jump in if I forget to address something that you think might be interesting for your audience. And uh, I I would say the pandemic, having led through the pandemic for the past um, 18 months, we we learned a lot about this this idea of access um, and how to cross uh, geographic boundaries, as well as ensuring that um, we were able to address equity in, in being able to reach everyone who was experiencing either COVID and or needed vaccinations. Um, this, you know, the pandemic accelerated two things that was really important. One is the um, consumer's willingness to um, use technology to access care. And then the second was for providers to step forward and be willing to um, provide care through technology so that we can reach into people's living rooms, um, no matter where they were, um, and make it easy to um, get diagnosed, get, get figure out what's going on, and then they could follow up and go to facilities and or we could send people to their homes or, or mail them their drugs. So um, it's, it's talk about it. And, and virtual care, most of us know, 
that have been in healthcare for some time that Kaiser was so far ahead of the world in virtual care pre the pandemic. What does that mean now? Because Kaiser was already doing more than the majority of its visits as virtual. No one else was. Almost no one else that I know of was doing that before the pandemic. What does that mean through the pandemic and after the pandemic? And will doubling down on virtual care be critical to improving health equity and access? Uh, two, there are a couple different ways. One was, you know, we, 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 were, we, we did have a lot of, we had the ability to do virtual visits, but most patients still wanted to come in and see their physician. I just don't, don't think it was socially acceptable for individuals to believe that they could get a high quality care interaction that wasn't in person. And so through the pandemic in 2020, we had a threefold increase in the number of visits that we did online at, over video with patients. So we did 31 million uh, virtual visits uh, with patients on the ambulatory care side uh, in 2020, which was a threefold increase. The other area we saw was in what we, what we call and what the industry now calls um, hospital at home. Uh, you know, previous people during the pandemic, the last place they wanted to be was in an emergency room or in a hospital under observation or for medical um, admissions. And and also surgical, we we saw that patients wanted to go home as soon as possible as opposed to, I want to stay overnight in the hospital just in case. So last year, there at one point, we had close to 2,400 patients um, that were actually being monitored at home, uh, where we set up a hospital bed and we had um, technology um, installed in people's homes in order to really create the hospital at home model. And that... Um, we went from just doing pilots of maybe 100 patients to scaling up to 2,400 um, in, you know, a census, active census during the pandemic, and that was pretty profound. And people were really pleased. You can see from our satisfaction scores and patient outcomes and readmission rates that there were no, um, the satisfaction was higher than in the hospital, and the readmissions rates were no higher than they were if they had been in the hospital and discharged from a hospital. So that was um, very telling, and we're really excited to continue expanding in, in both of these areas. Uh, we also did a lot more um, experimenting with um, different kinds of home diagnostics, whether it's blood pressure cuffs or um, lab, chem lab point of service lab um, testing equipment that we sent to people's homes and the results are electronically uploaded into medical records automatically. And so I think that we're gonna see more of that where um, healthcare organizations are gonna be um, sending different types of equipment to people's homes and being able to essentially tether with uh, people's homes and as, as an extension of a hospital or an exam room. And, and that's so important, isn't it, in terms of both convenience for patients, uh, cost enhancement maybe, but, but also just staff and, and, and making sure that we're able to um, not overload our staff, this concept of home diagnostics. And, and, and how, I mean, that must be so important for patient convenience and, and for staff and not burning out staff. Yeah, well, you know, we, the pandemic created part of our workforce, um, both the positive side and the challenging side. And for some um, individuals, they really embraced the idea of working from home and having this option in healthcare where we, where um, 
typically, if you're a nurse or you're a medical assistant, you know, you, you had to physically be in the facilities to provide care. And now you can be sitting at home and um, talking to a patient and coordinating the physician and the patient from home. And that was not something that was available to, to people in their careers in, in frontline healthcare. And so um, it's a, a big shift in, in the workforce. And we're seeing more and more individuals want to have a flexible um, work schedule where they're not in a facility or in an office five days a week. So it's, it's, it's plus. Uh, I see it as an option and a plus for healthcare workers but, and physicians as well. It's not just um, the, the clinical staff, but also our physicians. Some of them have really enjoyed having a practice that allows them to um, split up their day for the in-person and uh, from home. And, 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 and so important, that flexibility going forward. What does that mean for the long-term hospital of the future? You know, if when we've gone into hospitals over the last couple decades, some of these Big hospitals are like their own ecosystems, they're their own communities. It feels like you're in a small city sometimes. And, and sort of feel like that again, quite frankly. But will they feel like that 10 years from now? Or, they, or, or will this be a much more spread out care environment where the hospital doesn't have such a densely populated amounts of people in it? What's your sense of that? We're still going to need hospitals no matter what. You're going to need emergency rooms for real emergency care. You're going to need um, ICUs and um, surgical you know, capacity that can't be done on an outpatient basis. And so I, I do see it being emergency room slash ICU and more and more of the sort of medical observation, um, tele, uh, uh, telemetry type care, um, can be done from individuals' homes as an extension of a hospital and connected to a hospital. So hospitals will think of them as a hub. Well, they'll have to provide some physical services, but they'll also be able to manage um, and reach out into people's homes to be able to provide a much higher level care than they than we've ever imagined before. And I do think, though, that um, there is a role for um, our paramedic, um, community type uh, um, pharmacists. I do think there's a role for um, having more um, different kinds of professionals in healthcare, allied health professionals that are part of that home-based team that will help be in, in people's homes, can go to people's homes to help with that connection with the hospital. So um, I, I think it's, um, I think it's unstoppable now. I think it's both the patient preference and desire, as well as uh, um, the technology now enables uh, uh, our ability to do that. We're also seeing. Let me ask you one question, that Janet. Go ahead. Sure. Dedicated people, dedicated staff. Will will more and more clinical professionals be dedicated primarily to virtual versus in-person care? Do you see some of those workforce things playing out like that? Or what's your sense of how that ends up breaking down, particularly at such a large mega system as, as a Kaiser? Will people, will there be some of that? Oh, yes. And we, we had that even before the pandemic. So I think like a radiologist, we have a, and there are more and more of these roles like teleradiologists. I mean, that didn't exist before, but now we recruit for teleradiologists and they uh, work 
100% uh, virtual, they're available. Because when you have scale, you can keep uh, like a radiologist really busy. When you, if you think about it, we had, a, I think we were for 21 hospitals, we had uh, six teleradiologists working at one time. And, and they were supporting um, all 21 hospitals with a need to read um, uh, particularly uh, in the moment, emergency room, needing to read radiology results. So you can imagine um, that kind of speed to service, how quickly we can um, access a specialist, diagnose what's going on, and to help treat the patient. So our, our stroke program, um, it was a really big part of our stroke program to be able to make a really fast decision on whether or not we were going to remove the clot through, you know, an injection or whether we had to go in to physically remove the clot. So it, it's it's higher higher um, quality for patients, faster diagnostic capability, and here's what's really cool: you could be a, a hospital in a rural area to have the same connection to that teleradiologist as somebody in an urban area, in a hospital in an urban area. So it was really a game changer for us to be able to offer that kind of level of specialty. Now we've extended it. We have, um, we have uh, some specialty pediatrics, uh, again, also providing that teleconsultation for all of our emergency rooms where we don't have pediatrics on site. We do it for um, psychiatrists as well. And we also have it for um, pediatric psychiatry. And of course, um, uh, uh, for um, telecritical care in the hospitals as well. So uh, you're going to see more and more of this sort of, um, and it used to be they, the thought was they would sit in these command centers and be like a virtual hub. But really, you don't need to be sitting in a command center. They're all sitting at home. And they're connected virtually um, sort of to support all of the facilities. So I think we're going to see more and more of that. And, and let me ask you a question about culture. Kaiser's done this magnificent job over the last 20 years, going from what people would think of as a decent health system to an excellent health system throughout the country uh, on the coast and, and every place it's at. I mean, it, I remember about 10, 15 years ago when the CEO at that time of USC said, they had hit a turning point where they're losing a ton of their graduates to Kaiser. And that was a real wake up moment to them because it, it, that was not the case 30 years ago, but it was the case starting these 10, 15 years ago. Kaiser's built this really largest assets in the country and, and, and really a terrific culture of people that are great clinicians and think about health equity and, and seem to care deeply. And also as primary care physicians are, are well paid and do well. Talk for a moment about as the world becomes more remote, you mentioned this hub concept. And these hub concepts used to be like you could call it what it was. It could be like in sometimes a boiler room. It could be other times a place where there was a lot of chemistry and a lot of camaraderie. How do you now in this period of time where people are moving and switching jobs so quickly, you know, it's been called the great resignation, how do you maintain and grow that culture of greatness that you want to have and of camaraderie when everybody is remote and not together? How do you sort of improve upon that and encourage that and cultivate that? I wish I had, I wish I could, I could share a magic bullet with you on that. It's actually something that we're talking about and thinking about um, because culture has been built in healthcare through face-to-face um, -face relationships, working together, teamwork, 
and that all pivoted to virtual. And, you know, we've had a very successful 18 months um, in managing a very complex, uncertain time, right? We were still able to um, lead in our work around um, equity. We were able to continue with our prevention activities. We're looking at our hospital infection rates. And, and for the most part, I would say we've done really, really well in not only treating COVID, but treating everyone else who had a healthcare need during this 18 months. And so um, I, I, it is something that's top of mind for us. How do we prevent this divide between people who work in facilities and people who work from home? How do we ensure that in our recruitment and our um, our training programs that we're able to continue to cultivate the focus on the mission, uh, which is really uh, at the heart of it, our members, right? So uh, it, it's, uh, you're going to have to have me on a podcast a year from now so that I can answer that question for you. <laughs> I want to tell but you that for an organization the, like ours, we're thinking about that and we're, and we want to embrace it actually um, and say there's- But, but the beauty of it, the beauty of it, Janet, is the honest answer. The, the answer is not that we have all the answers, but that we're trying to figure it out. And that's, that's quite frankly the beauty of the answer. And, and Janet, let me ask you this question. When you look at coming towards the end of 2021, into 2022, you've got this huge role at Kaiser in this, in this magnificent career. What are you most focused and excited about right now? When you get up and you go to work, what are you most focused and excited about currently? I... For me right now, it's this uh, consumer experience, uh, just um, where we talk about things like, how do I get prescriptions? How do we close the last mile to get prescriptions to people's home the same day, right? Not right now we have a 48 hour mail order service and that's just not good enough anymore, right? Um, how do we uh, make everything so you don't have to pick up a phone and call anyone anymore, that everything can be done self-service for members and they can schedule appointments and uh, text with their doctor and upload pictures and uh, how do we make every transaction easier to do? And I think that is something that I'm just really excited about because I, I feel like healthcare um, could be more accessible, uh, less frustrating, and lead to more, I think, uh, ownership by individuals of their own health status and their how they want to direct their healthcare and how they want to interact with the healthcare team if we have the tools to empower them. So I am focused a ton on the digital enablement right now of healthcare, and that means a lot, a lot of workflows that have to change for employees, for physicians, and for how patients interact with us. So. But, but it's exciting. I feel like we're going to leap into this new um, world of convenience and ease through a lot of our tools. The second thing that that happened in the pandemic, which I think is really important for us as a society, is that we started talking about, and it became very transparent about the disproportionate impact that COVID was having with our communities of color and in also um, vulnerable communities. And we were, for the first time, really comfortable talking about rates of infection for, you know, black individuals, Latino uh, or white. And I, that has to continue because um, 
you can pick any healthcare measure and outcome, clinical outcome, and you will see unexplained variation um, along race and ethnicity lines. And now that we've gotten comfortable talking about COVID and um, uh, dis, you know, disparity in care, we need to begin to look at all of the other aspects of care and clinical outcomes with the same kind of honesty, transparency, and begin to address root causes of why, um, why, why there is um, difference in outcomes, health status based on race and ethnicity. So that's the second, and it's part of our, our CEO and our leadership team here. Uh, we're, we're really focused on leading in this space. Um, we think it's the right time and it's our responsibility um, as an organization of our size and scale to really help um, drive this point and to lead in the industry around, around these lines. So, Thank you very much. I mean, concept on moving towards digital, moving towards as consumer as friendly as possible, tackling in a much bigger way health equity, so important. Janet, I hope as they move towards the digital consumer experience and everything, there's still a person on the other side of the line so that when you're frustrated with the digital, you can still talk to somebody. But it, in all in all, making it so much easier to work through things is so important. And, and Kaiser's always had a huge commitment to health equity and glad to see that double down on. Um, I, I want to thank you, Janet, for taking the time to visit with us on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. W what a magnificent career. And thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you so much, Scott. Take care.